Chapter 4 of Linda Tressel by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 4 On the following morning, being Sunday morning, Linda positively refused to get up at the usual hour, and declared her intention of not going to church. She was, she said, so ill that she could not go to church. Late on the preceding evening, Madame Starbuck, after she had left Peter Steinmark, had spoken to Linda of what she had heard, and it was not surprising that Linda should have a headache on the following morning. "'Linda,' Madame Starbuck said, "'Peter has told me that Ludovic Valkarm has been making love to you. Linda, is this true?' Linda had been unable to say that it was not true. Her aunt put the matter to her in a more cunning way than Steinmark had done, and Linda felt herself unable to deny the charge. "'Then let me tell you that of all the young women of whom I ever heard, you are the most deceitful,' continued Madame Steyrbach. "'Do not say that, Aunt Charlotte. Pray, do not say that.' "'But I do say it. Oh, that it should have come to this between you and me!' "'I have not deceived you. Indeed, I have not. I don't want to see Ludovic again. Never, if you do not wish it. I haven't said a word to him.' "'Oh, aunt, pray believe me. "'I have never spoken a word to him "'in the way of what you mean.' "'Will you consent to marry Peter Steinmark?' "'Linda hesitated a moment before she answered. "'Tell me, miss, will you promise to take Peter Steinmark as your husband?' "'I cannot promise that, Aunt Charlotte.' "'Then I will never forgive you. "'Never. "'And God will never forgive you. "'I did not think it possible that my sister's child "'should have been so false to me.' "'I have not been false to you,' said Linda, through her tears. "'And such a terrible young man, too, "'one who drinks and gambles and is a rebel, "'one of whom all the world speaks ill, "'a penniless spendthrift to whom no decent girl would betroth herself. "'But perhaps you are to be his light of love.' "'It is a shame, a great shame, for you to say such things,' "'said Linda, sobbing bitterly. "'No, I won't wait. I must go.' "'I would sooner be dead than hear you say such things to me, so I would. "'I can't help it if it's wicked. You make me say it.' "'Then Linda escaped from the room and went up to her bed, "'and on the next morning she was too ill either to eat her breakfast or to go to church. "'Of course she saw nothing of Peter on that morning, "'but she heard the creaking of his shoes as he went forth after his morning meal, "'and I fear that her good wishes for his Sunday work did not go with him on that Sabbath morning. Three or four times her aunt was in her room, but to her aunt Linda would say no more than that she was sick and could not leave her bed. Madame Starbeck did not renew the revilings which she had poured forth so freely on the preceding evening, partly influenced by Linda's headache, and partly, perhaps, by a statement which had been made to her by Tetchen as to the amount of love-making which had taken place. "'Lord bless you, ma'am, in any other house than this it would go for nothing.' Over at Jacob Heiss's, among his girls, it wouldn't even have been counted at all. Such a few words as that. Just the compliments of the day, and no more. Tetchen could not have heard it all, or she would hardly have talked of the compliments of the day. When Ludovica told Linda that she was the fairest girl in all Nuremberg, and that he never could be happy, not for an hour, unless he might hope to call her his own, even Tetchen, whose notions about young men were not over-strict, could not have taken such words as simply meaning the compliments of the day. 
for there was Linda sick in bed, and this was Sunday morning, and nothing further could be said or done on the instant. And, moreover, such love-making as had taken place did in truth seem to have been perpetrated altogether on the side of the young man. Therefore it was that Madame Starbuck spoke with a gentle voice, as she prescribed to Linda some pill or potion that might probably be of service, and then went forth to her church. Madame Starbuck's prayers on a Sunday morning were a long affair. She usually left the house a little after ten, and did not return till past two. Soon after she was gone, on the present occasion, Tetchen came up to Linda's room, and expressed her own desire to go to the Frauenkirche, for Tetchen was a Roman Catholic. "'That is, if you mean to get up, miss, I'll go,' said Tetchen. Linda, turning in her bed, thought that her head would be better now that her aunt was gone, and promised that she would get up. In half an hour she was alone in the kitchen downstairs, and Tetchen had started to the Frauenkirche, or to whatever other place was more agreeable to her for the occupation of her Sunday morning. It was by no means an uncommon occurrence that Linda should be left alone in the house on some part of the Sunday, and she would naturally have seated herself with a book at the parlour window as soon as she had completed what little there might be to be done in the kitchen. But on this occasion there came upon her a feeling of desolateness as she thought of her present condition. Not only was she alone now, but she must be alone for ever. She had no friend left. Her aunt was estranged from her, Peter Steinmark was her bitterest enemy, and she did not dare even to think of Ludovic Valcarme. She had sauntered now into the parlour, and as she was telling herself that she did not dare to think of the young man, she looked across the river, and there he was, standing on the water's edge. She retreated back into the room, so far back that it was impossible that he should see her. She felt quite sure that he had not seen her as yet, for his back had been turned to her during the single moment that she had stood at the window. What should she do now? She was quite certain that he could not see her, and she stood far back in the room, within the gloom of the dark walls. Then there was the river between him and her. So she stood and watched, as one might watch a coming enemy, or a lover who was too bold. There was a little punt or raft moored against the bank just opposite to the gateway of the warehouse, which often lay there, and which, as Linda knew, was used in the affairs of the brewery. Now, as she stood watching him, Ludovic stepped into the punt without unfastening it from the ring, and pushed the loose end of it across the river as far as the shallow bottom would allow him. But still there was a considerable distance between him and the garden of the red house, a distance so great that Linda felt that the water made her safe. But there was a pole in the boat, and Linda saw the young man take up the pole and prepare for a spring, and in a moment he was standing in the narrow garden. As he landed he flung the pole back into the punt, which remained stranded in the middle of the river. Was ever such a leap seen before? Then she thought how safe she would have been from Peter Steinmark, had Peter Steinmark been in the boat. What would Ludovic Valcam do next? He might remain there all day before she would go to him. He was now standing under the front of the centre gable, and was out of Linda's sight. There was a low window close to him where he stood, which opened from the passage that ran through the middle of the house. On the other side of this passage, opposite to the parlour which Madame Staubach occupied, was a large room not now used, and filled with lumber. Linda, as soon as she was aware that Ludovic was in the island, within a few feet of her, and that something must be done, retreated from the parlour back into the kitchen, and as she went, 
thoughtfully drew the bolt of the front door. But she had not thought of the low window into the passage, which in these summer days was always open, nor, if she had thought of it, could she have taken any precaution in that direction. To have attempted to close the window would have been to throw herself into the young man's arms. But there was a bolt inside the kitchen door, and that she drew. There she stood in the middle of the room, listening. Had this been a thief who had come when she was left in charge of the house, is it thus she would have protected her own property and her aunt's? It was no thief. But why should she run from this man whom she knew, whom she knew and would have trusted had she been left to her own judgment of him? She was no coward. Were she to face the man, she would fear no personal danger from him. He would offer her no insult, and she thought that she could protect herself even were he to insult her. It was not that she feared, but that her aunt should be able to say that she had received her lover in secret on this Sunday morning, when she pretended that she was too ill to go to church. She was all ears, and could hear that he was within the house. She had thought of the window the moment that she had barred the kitchen door, and knew that he would be within the house. She could hear him knock at the parlour door, and then enter the parlour. But he did not stay there a moment. Then she heard him at the foot of the stair, and with a low voice he called to her by her name. "'Linda, are you there?' But of course she did not answer him. It might be that he would fancy that she was not within the house and would retreat. He would hardly intrude into their bedrooms, but it might be that he would go as far as his cousin's apartments. "'Linda,' he said again, "'Linda, I know that you are in the house.' That wicked Tetchen! It could not but be that Tetchen had been a traitor. He went three or four steps up the stairs, and then, bethinking himself of the locality, came down again and knocked at once at the kitchen door. "'Linda,' he said, when he found that the door was barred, "'Linda, I know that you are here.' "'Go away,' said Linda. "'Why have you come here? You know that you should not be here.' "'Open the door for one moment, that you may listen to me. "'Open the door, and I will tell you all. "'I will go instantly when I have spoken to you, Linda. I will indeed.' Then she opened the door. Why should she be a barred-up prisoner in her own house? What was there that she need fear?' She had done nothing that was wrong, and would do nothing wrong. Of course she would tell her aunt. If the man would force his way into the house, climbing in through an open window, how could she help it? If her aunt chose to misbelieve her, let it be so. There was need now that she should call upon herself for strength. All heaven and earth together should not make her marry Peter Steinmark. Nor should earth and the evil one combined make her give herself to a young man after any fashion that should disgrace her mother's memory— or her father's name. If her aunt doubted her, the sorrow would be great, but she must bear it. "'You have no right here,' she said, as soon as she was confronted with the young man. "'You know that you should not be here. Go away.' "'Linda, I love you. I don't want your love. And now they tell me that my cousin Peter is to be your husband. No, no, he will never be my husband. You will promise that?' He will never be my husband. Thanks, dearest, a thousand thanks for that. But your aunt is his friend. Is it not true? Of course she is his friend. And would give you to him? I am not hers to give. I am not to be given away at all. I choose to stay as I am. You know that you are very wicked to be here. But I believe you want to get me into trouble. Oh, Linda! Then go. 
"'If you wish me to forgive you, go instantly.' "'Say that you love me, and I will be gone at once. "'I will not say it. "'And do you not love me a little? "'Oh, Linda, you are so dear to me. "'Why do you not go? "'They tell me evil things of you, and now I believe them. "'If you are not very wicked, you would not have come upon me here, "'in this way, when I am alone, doing all that you possibly can to make me wretched.' I would give all the world to make you happy. I have never believed what they said of you. I always thought that they were ill-natured and prejudiced, and they spoke falsehoods. But now I shall believe them. Now I know that you are very wicked. You have no right to stand here. Why do you not go when I bid you? But you forgive me? Yes, if you go now, at once. Then he seized her hand and kissed it. Dearest Linda, "'Remember that I shall always love you, always be thinking of you, "'always hoping that you will some day love me a little. "'Now I am gone.' "'But which way?' said Linda. "'You cannot jump back into the boat. The pole is gone. "'At the door they will see you from the windows.' "'Nobody shall see me. God bless you, Linda.' "'Then he again took her hand, though he did not on this occasion "'succeed in raising it as far as his lips. "'After that,' He ran down the passage, and, having glanced each way from the window, in half a minute was again in the garden. Linda, of course, hurried into the parlour that she might watch him. In another half-minute he was down over the little wall, into the river, and in three strides had gained the punt. The water, in truth, on that side was not much over his knees, but Linda thought he must be very wet. Then she looked round to see if there were any eyes watching him. As far as she could see, There were no eyes. Linda, when she was alone, was by no means contented with herself, and yet there was a sort of joy at her heart which she could not explain to herself, and of which, being keenly alive to it, she felt in great dread. What could be more wicked, more full of sin, than receiving on a Sunday morning a clandestine visit from a young man, and such a young man as Ludovic Valcombe? Her aunt had often spoken to her with fear and trembling of the mode of life in which their neighbours opposite lived. The daughters of Jacob Heiser were allowed to dance and talk and flirt, and, according to Madame Steinbach, were living in fearful peril. For how much would such a man as Jacob Heiser, who thought of nothing but working hard in order that his four girls might always have fine dresses, for how much would he be called upon to answer in the last day? Of what comfort would it be to him, then, that his girls in this foolish, vain world had hovered about him, bringing him his pipe and slippers, filling his glass stoop for him, and kissing his forehead as they stood over his easy chair in the evening? Jacob Heiser and his daughters had ever been used as an example of worldly living by Madame Steinbach, but none of Jacob Heiser's girls would ever have done such a thing as this. They flirted, indeed but they did it openly, under their father's nose. And Linda had often heard the old man joke with his daughters about their lovers. Could Linda joke with anyone touching this visit from Ludovic Falcom? And yet there was something in it that was a joy to her, a joy which she could not define. Since her aunt had been so cruel to her, and since Peter had appeared before her as her suitor, she had told herself that she had no friend. Heretofore she had acknowledged Peter as her friend, in spite of his creaking shoes and objectionable hat. There was old custom in his favour, 
had he not been unkind to her as an inmate of the same house with him. Her aunt she had loved dearly, but now her aunt's cruelty was so great that she shuddered as she thought of it. She had felt herself to be friendless. Then this young man had come to her, and though she had said to him all the hard things of which she could think because of his coming, yet, yet, yet she liked him because he had come. Was there any other young man in Nuremberg so handsome? Would any other young man have taken that leap, or have gone through the river, that he might speak one word to her, even though he were to have nothing in return for the word so spoken? He had asked her to love him, and she had refused. Of course she had refused. Of course he had known that she would refuse. She would sooner have died than have told him that she loved him. But she thought she did love him, a little. She did not so love him but what she would give him up. But what she would swear never to set eyes upon him again, if as a part of such an agreement she might be set free from Peter Steinmark's solicitations. That was a matter of course, because, without reference to Peter, she quite acknowledged that she was not free to have a lover of her own choice without her aunt's consent. To give up Ludovic would be a duty, a duty which she thought she could perform. But she would not perform it unless as part of a compact. No, let them look to it. If duty was expected from her, let duty be done to her. Then she sat thinking, and as she thought, she kissed her own hand where Ludovic had kissed it. The object of her thoughts was this. What should she do now when her aunt came home? Were she once to tell her aunt all that had occurred, that comparison which she had made between herself and the Heiser girls, so much to her own disfavour, would not be a true comparison. In that case she would have received no clandestine young man. It could not be imputed to her as a fault, at any rate not imputed by the justice of heaven, that Ludovic Valcarm had jumped out of a boat and got in at the window. She could put herself right at any rate before any just tribunal, simply by telling the story truly and immediately. Aunt Charlotte, Ludovic Valcarm had been here. He jumped out of her boat, got in at the window, and followed me into the kitchen, and kissed my hand, and swore he loved me, he scrambled back through the river. I couldn't help it, and now you know all about it. The telling of such a tale as that would, she thought, be the only way of making herself quite right before a just tribunal. But she felt, as she tried the telling of it to herself, that the task would be very difficult. And then her aunt would only half believe her, and would turn the facts, joined as they would be with her own unbelief, into additional grounds for urging on this marriage with Peter Steinmark. How can one plead one's cause justly before a tribunal which is manifestly unjust, which is determined to do injustice? Moreover, was she not bound to secrecy? Had not secrecy been implied in that forgiveness which she promised to Ludovic as the condition of his going? He had accepted the condition, and gone. After that, would she not be treacherous to betray him? Why was it that at this moment it seemed to her that treachery to him— to him who had treated her with such arrogant audacity, would be of all guilt the most guilty. It was true that she could not put herself right without telling of him, and not to put herself right in this extremity would be to fall into so deep a depth of wrong. But any injury to herself would now be better than treachery to him. Had he not risked much in order that he might speak to her that one word of love? But for all that she did not make up her mind for a time, 
she must be governed by things as they went. Tetchen came home first, and to Tetchen Linda was determined that she would say not a word. That Tetchen was in communication with young Valcalm, she did not doubt, but she would not tell the servant what had been the result of her wickedness. When Tetchen came in, Linda was in the kitchen, but she went at once into the parlour, and there awaited her aunt. Tetchen had bustled in in high good humour, and had at once gone to work to prepare for the Sunday dinner. "'Mr. Peter is to dine with you today, Linda,' she'd said. "'Your aunt thinks there's nothing like making one family of it.' Linda had left the kitchen without speaking a word, but she had fully understood the importance of the domestic arrangements which Tetchen had announced. No stranger ever dined at her aunt's table, and certainly her aunt would have asked no guest to do so on a Sunday but one whom she intended to regard as a part of her household. Peter Steinmark was to be one of them, and therefore might be allowed to eat his dinner with them, even on the Sabbath. Between two and three her aunt came in, and Peter was with her. As was usual on Sundays, Madame Stabach was very weary, and, till the dinner was served, was unable to do much in the way of talking. Peter went up into his own room to put away his hat and umbrella, and then, if ever, would have been the moment for Linda to have told her story. But she did not tell it then. Her aunt was leaning back in her accustomed chair, with her eyes closed, as were often her wound, and Linda knew that her thoughts were far away, wandering in another world, of which she was ever thinking, living in a dream of bliss with singing angels, but not all happy, not all sure, because of the danger that must intervene. Linda could not break in at such a time as this, with her story of the young man and his wild leap from the boat. And certainly she would not tell her story before Peter Steinmark. It should go untold to her dying day before she would whisper a word of it in his presence. When they sat round the table, the aunt was very kind in her manner to Linda. She had asked after her headache, as though nothing doubting the fact of the ailment, and when Linda had said that she had been able to rise almost as soon as her aunt had left the house, Madame Stabach expressed no displeasure. When the dinner was over, Peter was allowed to light his pipe. Madame Stabach either slept or appeared to sleep. Linda seated herself in the furthest corner of the room, and kept her eyes fixed upon a book. Peter sat and smoked with his eyes closed, and his great big shoes stuck out before him. In this way they remained for an hour. Then Peter got up, and expressed his intention of going out for a stroll in the Nonnengarten. Now the Nonnengarten was close to the house, to be reached by a bridge across the river, not fifty yards from Jacob Heiser's door. Would Linda go with him? But Linda declined. "'You'd better, my dear,' said Madame Starbuck, seeming to awake from her sleep. "'The air will do you good.' "'Do, Linda,' said Peter, and then he intended to be very gracious in what he added. "'I will not say a word to tease you, but just take you out and bring you back again.' "'I'm sure, it being the Sabbath, he would say nothing of his hopes to-day,' said Madame Starbuck. "'Not a word,' said Peter, lifting up one hand in token of his positive assurance. But, even so assured, Linda would not go with him, and the town clerk went off alone. Now, again, had come the time in which Linda could tell the tale. It must certainly be told now, or never. 
Were she to tell it now, she could easily explain why she had been silent so long. But were she not to tell it now, such explanation would for ever afterwards be impossible. "'Linda, dear, will you read to me?' said her aunt. Then Linda took up the great Bible. "'Turn to the eighth and ninth chapters of Isaiah, my child.' Linda did as she was bidden, and read the two chapters indicated. After that there was silence for a few minutes, and then the aunt spoke. "'Linda, my child.' "'Yes, Aunt Charlotte?' "'I do not think you would willingly be false to me.' Then Linda turned away her face and was silent. "'It is not that the offence to me would be great, who am, as we all are, a poor, weak, misguided creature, but that the sin against the Lord is so great, seeing that He has placed me here as your guide and protector.' Linda made no promise in answer to this, but even then she did not tell the tale. How could she have told it at such a moment? But the tale must now go untold for ever. End of chapter 4